الذين أخرجوا من ديارهم بغير حق إلا أن يقولوا ربنا الله ولولا دفع الله الناس بعضهم ببعض لهدمت صوامع لهدمت صوامع وبيع وصلوات ومساجد يذكر فيها اسم الله كثيرا ولينصرن الله من ينصره إن الله لقوي عزيز الذين إن مكناهم في الأرض أقاموا الصلاة وآتوا الزكاة وأمروا بالمعروف ونهوا عن المنكر ولله عاقبة الأمور وإن يكذبوك فقد كذبت قبلهم قوم نوح وعاد وثمود وقوم إبراهيم وقوم لوط وأصحاب مدين وكذب موسى فأمليت للكافرين ثم أخذتهم فكيف كان نكير فكأي من قرية أهلكناها وهي ظالمة فهي خاوية على عروشها وبئر معطلة وقصر مشيد أفلم يسيروا في الأرض فتكون لهم قلوب يعقلون بها أو آذان يسمعون بها فإنها لا تعمل الأبصار ولكن تعمل القلوب التي في الصدور ويستعجلونك بالعذاب ولن يخلف الله وعده وإن يوما عند ربك كألف سنة مما تعدون صدق الله العظيم So we were continuing Surah Al-Hajj <coughs> And in the previous section We covered those ayat Wherein Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Was talking about Hajj And the Qurbani Udhiyah sacrifice And uh, the sacrifice of the animals Reminding ourselves Recreating uh, re- uh, The great ultimate sacrifice Of Ibrahim alayhi salam And Ismail alayhi salam And the sacrifice of the animals So the connection of uh, this, these coming ayat with the previous is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about hajj, going for hajj, and benefiting from going there, benefiting from fulfilling this arkan, mentions the obligation. And over here we talked about the fact that the outer performance of the action has to be correct as well as the inner dimension, the intention. Neither the flesh nor the blood will reach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As the disbelievers, the mushrikun, they used to smear the walls of the Kaaba with blood of the sacrifice of animals. That is very, very uh, um, obscene act, disrespectful act to the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the Impure blood was smeared on the walls of the Kaaba. Allah Ta'ala says, no, He doesn't want to see that. He wants to see the taqwa in your hearts. 
Then we talked about how Allah has subjugated these animals for, our, for the human beings. And we should say Allahu Akbar, Bismillah, Allahu Akbar, Allah ala ma hadakum tashkurun. Now, after mentioning all the benefits of Hajj and the benefits of the Kaaba, then uh, there were certain people who were preventing the Muslims from benefiting from the Kaaba. Who are they? The Mushrikun of Makkah. After the Hijrah, the Mushrikun of Makkah are preventing the Muslims from going. Uh, they were making the life so difficult for them in Makkah that uh, they had to end up leaving. They had to migrate. They had to make Hijrah. They tortured them for 13 years. Um, and even after they left, they would not allow them to come back to perform Umrah. We know about in the sixth year of Hijrah, Rasulullah he saw a dream that he's performing Umrah. And he goes with the Sahaba, 1400 Sahaba, to go and perform the Umrah. And they are turned back. They are prevented um, by the mushrikeen of Makkah. And that was when they signed the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Then they were allowed to make a Qada Umrah, the seventh year. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, look, these people are preventing you. And who is going to defend you against these uh, disbelievers? Inna Allah yudafi'u amanu. Really Allah himself, he will defend those who believe against all of these uh, evil people. Really Allah does not love those who betray his trust. Khawan from khiyana. They make khiyana. And who are kafur. Meaning they are ungrateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ingrate. Ingrate is a person who is not grateful. Who does kufran and ni'mah. Who is ungrateful for the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the, the people of Makkah, the Quraysh. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds them about his favors. And... He specifically highlights two favors that they had. And these two favors were not just coincidental, but a result of the founder of the city of Makkah, his du'as. He specifically made two du'as for his progeny in Makkah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted those two du'as. And then he reminds the Quraysh of Makkah, look, your forefather, who is the founder of the city, so he is uh, um, your great-grandfather from lineage Nasab wise, because you're all the descendants of Ismail alayhi salam, who is the son of Ibrahim alayhi salam. And he's also the founder of your city. He had made this dua when he founded the city uh, for these two blessings, which I have granted, I have accepted his dua, and you are enjoying the, the blessings of those uh, accepted duas, but you are not being thankful, you are being ungrateful. So what are those two duas? Ibrahim alayhi salam had made the dua. Number one is that Oh Allah, remember when Ibrahim said, Amina. Oh Allah, make the city a safe and secure place. Amina. So he made dua for safety and security. And the second dua he made for them is, And provide them risk and provision of fruits. And he said, Why? So they can be grateful unto you. So safety and security and? Food and provision, risk. Two blessings he made dua for. Risk. Fruits meaning uh, you don't live on fruits. That's not a stable diet. It's additional things that a person enjoys. So if he, they have fruits, that means they have the full meal and the fruits as well. Dessert as well. So they may be grateful. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted the dua of Ibrahim Because he knew, this is his wisdom, that for the children to progress in their deen and the dunya, uh, they have to have safety and security. And they have to also have risk. After that, you can do something beneficial for dunya, for dunya also, for deen also, for everything. If a person is afraid 
uh, if he, that he's going to die when he steps out of his home or even inside his home. There's indiscriminate shelling. Like we hear the fireworks going on around us, right? These, uh, uh, subhanAllah, they're very similar in sound to shelling and attacks that are taking place in Jinin right now and other places throughout the world. So uh, there is a uh, very uh, drastic military incursion that is taking place by the Israeli uh, defense forces. They call themselves IDF, but it's aggressive forces. And they're killing so many people. So the similar situation. So imagine if we are sitting here in the house of Allah. We went straight into the topic because there's so many ayat to cover. But... Uh, we don't have time for you know warm-up session. Remind ourselves where, where we are. We are sitting in the house of Allah, Baytullah, and we're studying the kalam of Allah and learning it amongst ourselves and how blessed this gathering is, right? Rasulullah <laughs> Whenever a group of people sit in the house of Allah, Yatluna Kitab Allah, they recite the Quran of Book of Allah. بينهم, and they study among themselves. What is Allah saying? What happens to this gathering? The angels surround them. وَغَشِيَتُمُ الرَّحْمَةِ Rahmah descends upon them. نَزَلَتْ عَلِيهِمُ السَّكِينَةِ Special Sakina descends upon them. مُذَكَرَهُمُ اللَّهُ فِي مَنْ Allah remembers them in the company of those who are near Him, the angels. So, do you think, uh, when we were coming from Maghrib, we heard in the apartments here, in the back, in the condos, in some in the front, they were with the firecrackers, so loud firecrackers. And that's what I was thinking, subhanAllah. It's very similar to uh, artillery shelling. So if, there were, if it was real artillery shelling happening, happening, could we be performing salah and jama'ah in the masjid? It would be very difficult. And could we be sitting and just having the dars of Qur'an? Quite challenging, right? It would be impossible, in fact. So we cannot... There you go, another one, right? Right. So this is an opportunity for us to, you know, think, subhanAllah, uh, it sounds exactly like this, the shelling in the news media, that when you hear the reporters are giving the, you know, the news from the front line and you hear the same sound in the back. But it's not firecrackers, it's actual bombs. So he made dua, O oh Allah, grant them aman. And the second thing is faqar. If a person is dying out of um, hunger and thirst and is dehydrated and is uh, starving to death um, and uh, you cannot do tahajjud salah and da'wah and, uh, and ibadah and all of that stuff because you're, gonna, you're worried about surviving. I mean, there's a... Seven day, uh, uh, you know, walking uh, journey through the desert to the maybe United Nations camp or distributing food. And the mother is deciding, okay, which of the two children can I carry? One, which one is going to die anyway? So I have to pick one. I can't carry both, right? So the mother has to leave the baby to die. This is the decision she's making. So this is what? She doesn't have time to do Alima program. Right? It's because you can't. You know I mean? it's, it's, it's a very, very dire situation. So you need food and you need safety. After that, we can do anything else. So that's why he made a dua. Then Allah Ta'ala, he reminds the Quraysh, the ilafi Quraysh and ilafi mihlata shita'i wa sayf. You have the caravans in the summer and the winter going to Syria and Yemen, north and south. فَلْيَعْبُدُوا رَبَّ هَذَا الْبَيْتِ So worship the Lord of this house. And what did he do? He did two things. الَّذِي أَطْعَمَهُ مِنْ He gave you food to eat so you're not starving. He gave you safety so you're not afraid. So these are the two du'as of Ibrahim al So this links Surah Al-Quraysh with Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Ibrahim. He made Makkah the center of the, um, it was the trade capital, commercial capital of Arabia. So there was a lot of money. 
And Amanahum and Khauf is in Jahiliya when people would kill everyone and hijacking and robbery, murder was the normal behavior. Uh, even in Jahiliya, the Arabs had the sacredness of the Haram such that if you meet someone who even killed your loved one, you could not attack him by the Kaaba because that was the sanctity of the Haram. So Allah Ta'ala says that, look, Allah Ta'ala granted you uh, safety and Allah Ta'ala granted you risk. But what did you do? Khawan and Kafur. You made a khiyana in this amana and you are ungrateful for the blessings. So Allah will defend the believers against you. Then, first ayah that was revealed, giving the permission for the believers to respond in like force, to defend themselves. This is a very historic ayah. It is the awwalu ayah, first ayah, uh, giving the permission to fight. Notice the word, udhina. The permission to fight back is given to those who believe who have um, because they have been wronged for so long and indeed Allah is all able to give them victory. So if you have kids for example uh, you know you would not say that okay fine you have permission now to do your homework. You have permission now to take out the garbage. You have permission now to study for exam. Do you say that? No, you say you have permission now to play in the park. You have permission now to have some screen time, limited, monitored. Wallah even if you should have that or not. You have permission now for this one or that one. Why? Because that's something that they're asking for. They want to, they're desiring. You wouldn't say you have permission now to clean the bathroom. <laughs> right. You understand my point? Mm. So, they were for so long being tortured, 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 13 years. And they asked, can we defend ourselves? So there's more than 70 different occasions where the ayat are, فَصْبِرُ sabran jamila, فَصْبِرُ sabran jamila. Be patient, be patient. It's not, you have no chance. No, do not respond, do not respond. Uh, you do not have permission. Just silently bear the humiliation and the torture, emotional abuse, physical abuse, whatever the case is, all of it. Continue to bear it. Like even in Mina, when the second Bay Aqaba, the Ansar, who came and accepted Islam, over 80 of them, they asked Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, all of these people who are torturing you in Mina, because you're going from camp to camp and saying, man yaweeni, man yansurani, who will come to my aid, who will help me, who will accept my call, and they're attacking you, they're spitting at you, throwing rocks at you. And we met you and accepted you because we had heard from the Yehud and Medina that our final prophet is coming. And they were introduced to the concept beforehand. So because of uh, their interaction with the Yehud, they were aware of such a, uh, <laughs> subhanAllah, they were aware of such a concept. So that's why they accepted Islam earlier than anyone else, the Medina uh, Arabs, the Aus and Khazraj. They said, let's go and, can we go and engage in attacking those people, defending you? Nabi Sallallahu said, no, you still do not have permission. I, Allah is not giving me permission. So after the Hijrah, when they came to Medina Munawwara, when they were, Mm, expelled from Medina, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala finally gave them the permission that you have the permission to uh, respond and to ensure that you can defend yourselves against the aggressors. So this is, we see um, this word, udhina, the permission has been granted because they're asking. On so many different occasions they're asking. And um, this is the same tafsir about this we find. Actually, I didn't see it written here, but 
this came to mind because the same wording we find in Surah An-Nur, where the Mufassirin over there, they say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He speaks about erecting masajid, uh, Allah Ta'ala uses the same word. He says, These houses of Allah, Allah has given you permission now. Okay, go ahead, you may erect them high. Turfa'a, to erase them high, the masajid. It's a longer ayah of Surah Nur. So the scholars say over there, when Allah Ta'ala could have said, You are commanded, Umira, or Umirtum, you have been commanded, or Amar Allah, Allah has commanded, Allah has ordained. Instead of that, He says, Why He says He has given you permission? It is because the believers are so desirous, wishing to dedicate a place to worship Allah. They have this desire. So Allah is saying, okay, I have given you the permission. The building permit is from Allah. Wazina. <laughs> Allah has given you permission. That's where the word permit comes from, right? Permission is granted by the ultimate authority, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah has granted this uh, permission to fight back. Now, the reason is uh, it's defensive in nature. B, because. This B is for because. B annahum zalimu, because they have been wrong for so long. They have been oppressed for so long. And Allah Ta'ala says, Look, Verily Allah is all able to give them victory. He has the qudra and ability to give them victory. So some scholars say that there are different ways Allah Ta'ala, depending on the mood and the context, He mentions the fact that He is there for you. Where Allah Ta'ala is giving strong targhib and encouraging, right, as will come later as well, He uses stronger words than this. For example, he will say, Surely Allah will most definitely help those who help him, who help his deen. Right? So Allah will definitely help you. It's a strong promise. Over here, um, the promise may seem, may seem at first glance to be a bit weaker. Because he's not saying, most definitely I will help you. What is he saying? Verily, I have the qudra, I can help you. Yani, if I do want to, I, w- I can. If I don't want to, I won't. Is he saying, I will definitely help you? No. He's just saying, I have the qudra to help you if I want. So what does that mean? So why doesn't Allah Ta'ala say that you have permission to fight against those who are wronging you, to defend yourselves, and I will most definitely help you. He didn't say that. He said, no, I have the qudra to help you. So there are different interpretations of why this language is the way it is. Do you understand the question? Um, like um, if you say somebody is thirsty and you'll say most definitely I'll give you water versus I have the ability to give you water what are you talking about why are you telling me you have the ability to give me water give me water man so it's like that so, so the one answer is uh, that subhanallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not saying he has the ability to help you and you know he will if he wants he won't if he doesn't want to he's actually saying that um Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the ability to help you without you having to fight, without you having to pick up a sword, without you having to pick up a shield, an arrow, anything, doing anything. He could have sent his angels to destroy your enemies. He had the qudra to help you without you having to do anything. However, this is his system that he wants to test you. And he wants to see who will fulfill his command, who will not, who will stand up and who will slack. Allah wants to see who are going to join the struggle and who are the sabirin and who are the weak. So that is why, because of the system of Allah, you, ha- you have to defend yourselves. Otherwise, 
It's not that Allah needs you to defend yourself. Ala nasrihim He has the qudra to defend you without any worldly means. You understand? This is one interpretation. The reason this interpretation is given is, first of all, you have to understand the question. The question was, well, why is it such a weak statement? You understand? And then this is the one answer. Does the answer make sense? There's a lot of different answers. Some of them make sense, some don't. So I'm only showing the ones that actually make sense. Right? So this one makes sense because it's actually pointing out of a new fact. There's a new perspective. Oh, Allah is actually telling us here that, you know, He really didn't have to see you fight. He could have just sent in divine angels as He did in Badr. And you don't have to do anything. You don't have to lift a finger. You could just sit back and your enemy will be destroyed. Right? But that's not the system of Allah. He actually wants you to struggle because this is a Darul Ibtila, a place of a test. And he'll reward those who pass the test and he will potentially forgive or punish those who fail the test. Right? So this is one interpretation. A second interpretation is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is highlighting the fact that yes, I have the qudra to help. And if I'm going, I will help you inshallah as he promises shortly afterward you will see. But he is emphasizing the fact that I'm not compelled by anyone. No one can force me. And I'm not answerable to anyone. If I'm helping you, it's because I want to help you, not because anyone can force me to help you. I have the qudra to help you. And, and later on we'll find out that he says, I will most definitely help you. But is there anyone who's going to ask me, you better help? No, no one can compel me. I'm helping you because I want to, not because I have to. This is a second interpretation. Um, now, the permission has been granted to fight for those who have been expelled from their homes. It doesn't say expelled from the homes here. It just says, Biannam Zulimu, they have been oppressed. Where did this expulsion from the home? That's actually the next part. They are those who have been thrown out from their homes. Ikhraj means to throw out. They have been, like the one in Kharij, or Khuruj, means to go out. Makhraj is where the letters emanate from the mouth. The Makhraj, Makharaj, and Tajweed. Ukhriju, they have been expelled from their homes. Bighayri haqqin, they have no other sin. No sin. Why? You know, people are sometimes they're put into political exile. They're creating turmoil in the kingdom. Or otherwise, like Australia. There's indigenous population who are not criminals. But uh, the, the um, Caucasians, the Anglo-Saxon, in other words, frankly, white-skinned white people, fair-skinned people in Australia, they are the descendants of what? Primarily? Convicts, criminals, right? Because they were sent into exile. They were expelled from their homes of UK, the England, British government, you know, threw them into the Australia, go live there because you're hardened criminals and overcrowding our jails. And then we have to end up feeding you and you're a liability, right? So therefore they threw them away, they sent them to Australia. So they had a sin, they had a lot of crim crime, criminal background. Over here Allah Ta'ala is saying, why are they expelled from Makkah? They have no sin. Illa, the only thing they have done, what's their crime? An yaqulu rabbun Allah, that they said our Rabb is Allah. All right. So this is like in Surah Yasin, Habib Najjar, he's running and trying to save the Anbiya alayhi salam. What does he say? رَجُلٌ مِّنْ أَقْصَ الْمَدِينَةِ قَالَ يَا قَوْمِ اتَّبِعُوا الْمُرْسَلِينَ اتَّبِعُوا مَنْ لَا يَسَلَكُمْ أَجْرًا وَهُمْ مُهْتَدُونَ He goes and says, go um, to the people. Why are you trying to kill the Anbiya and trying to defend them? Likewise, uh, Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu, he was defending Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And likewise, Shamoon from the Rajulul Mu'minun min Ali Fir'aun, he was defending Musa alayhi salam. So all of these three were the Siddiqeen of the Ummah. And what did he say? 
He said, أَتَقْتُلُونَ رَجُلًا أَنْ يَقُولَ رَبِّيَ اللَّهِ Do you want to kill a man? His only crime is, he said, my Rabbi is Allah. And Abu Bakr Siddiq repeated the same thing. Uh, one time by the Kaaba, Nabi Sallallahu was giving da'wah and everyone started attacking him, throwing things on him, bloodying him. And then Abu Bakr Siddiq was trying to defend Rasulullah and he said, أَتَقْتُلُونَ رَجُلًا أَنْ يَقُولَ رَبِّيَ اللَّهِ Do you want to kill a man? His only crime is, he says, my Rabbi is Allah. By the way, saying my Rabbi is Allah, is that a crime? It's not a crime. Right? It's an obligation. It's the greatest uh, jihad that he, to speak the truth in the face of the tyrant. But So this is a way of, uh, it's called madh yushbihu dham. It's actual madh in praise, but even though you're using the words of, of dham as considering it to be a crime, to highlight how great the achievement is, not a crime in any way. Alright? Um, so, so if you want to, there are different ways of speaking and sometimes somebody may be praised um, but you end up saying a word which um, it seems like is negative. So, so you use negative words and you have positive intention or you use positive words and you have negative intentions. So it, it depends on the, in the niyyah. Right? Okay. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if you say for example um, our uh, your you know your food uh, your food is you know mashallah your food is so good you know the only problem is that we just can't stop eating it and then we end up getting uh, you know um, stomach problems because uh, from overeating so you're saying something negative this is a problem that from overindulgence we end up you know Getting problem, but you're, so you're, it sounds like very negative. But in the reality, what, what are you trying to say? It's very, very tasty. It's very, very, very tasty. Or, or um, so you're actually saying negative things, word, but the intention is positive. Sometimes you can say something so positive that your speech is so sweet that it, you know, it's like a lullaby it makes you fall deep asleep. <laughs> so it sounds very positive, but in reality, you're making fun of the guy that you're so boring. Not interesting, not, mashallah, <laughs> uh, uh, um, engaging. Okay, you know, it's, but you're saying, what the words you're saying, it's so sweet and it's so calming, mashallah. So this is what? It seems positive, but in reality, it's what? Negative. That, in other words, it means that you're so boring, right? So this is, this is how, so over here, this is called dham yushbihul madh and madh yushbihul dham. You use words of praise, but it's actually attacking a person. Or you use words of attacking, but it's actually praising a person. So over here, Allah Ta'ala is praising them. He's saying they have no crime. The only crime they have is they say, Our Rabb is Allah. Saying our Rabb is Allah is no crime. It's the greatest achievement. This is what is uh, the brief explanation of that one. Then Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says here, Look, if Allah Ta'ala throughout history, He did not use some people to defend against other people, meaning if there were no battles in the past, then what, what would have happened? If there were no battles, لَهُدِّمَتْ They would have been destroyed, demolished. What would have been demolished? Sawami' Sawami' is the plural of soma'atun, which means a monastery where the Christian monks would go into solitude and worship Allah. All the monasteries where the monks and the convents where the nuns are worshipping Allah in the past, they would have been demolished. Wabi'awan, this is the plural of bi'atun, which means a church, 
of the Christians. Salawat is not the salawat khams, the five prayers. This salawat is, pr- uh, is the plural of salut, which is a synagogue. The synagogues of the Jews. Wa masajid. What's a masajid? You better know what a masajid is, right? Masajid is the plural of masjid. Place where the Muslims worship. All of these would have been destroyed. Which, which masjid? Yuskaru fi hasmullahi kathira. In which uh, the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is remembered abundantly. Then Allah ta'ala says, see, this is what I was saying. This is now very strong positive language. Before Allah ta'ala said, oh, I, I have the ability to help you. And we felt, oh my God, why is he just saying, I have the ability to help you? We want something more strong. Like, I am with you, I will help you. So there it is. Most definitely Allah will help those who help him. This will now give us more comfort. إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَقَوِيٌّ عَزِيزٌ Verily Allah is all strong, He has quwa and aziz, no one can overpower Him. So, there are a lot of things happening here. One thing to, to note is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has this many places in the Quran, when He gives a command, He says that, oh, you, you're, you're so scared, you think you're the first people who have to do this? No, no, people before you had to do it as well. Most famous ayah in this regard is which one? We always hear in Ramadan. كُتِبَ عَلَيْكُمُ الصِّيَامُ Fasting has been prescribed upon you. Kama kutiba min qablikum, like those prior to you. So, if armed struggle and defending yourselves, otherwise, yeah, known as armed struggle. <laughs> if this was, if this is obligated upon you, if you say, "Oh, how are we going to do this?" Allah Taala is saying, number one, people in the past had to do it too. Okay, and then Allah Taala is mentioning the reason why, because there are always ahlul batil, people of falsehood. And they're out there trying to destroy those who are worshipping Allah in all different eras. So if you are not going to defend your deen, then what would have happened is the monasteries where the Christian monks were worshipping Allah, the sawami', the bi'an, the churches, salawat are the salut salawat, what are they? Synagogues. And now in your time and era, the masajid, they would have all have been demolished. By whom? By the enemies of Allah, those who don't believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, the people in the monasteries, the, the churches, the synagogues, what did they do in the past? They defended their deen. So now it's your turn, you have to defend your deen. So one aspect here is what? The continuity. They had to as well, so you need to as well. And if they survived, you can survive. And don't feel that, oh, why, is I, why are we given this big job, this difficult command, no one else. So again, with the children, for example, if someone says, oh, I have to do this, you know, maybe older brother or sister has graduated, they're done. So they're just uh, maybe applying for jobs and sitting at home. So he said that, you know, I have to prepare for all these exams and homework and this and that. Bhaidan or bhaiya or fulan bhen, api, didi, whatever is sitting at home. So I don't, she doesn't do anything. Then you tell her, no, 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 she did it. She studied, she aced it, she graduated. Now she's waiting for her job or marriage or whatever. She's at home or he's at home. They did it, you, it's your turn, you have to do it. So this is what Allah Ta'ala is saying here. That's one thing. Second thing is, is also mentioning, once again, the philosophy, the reason. Why do you have to fight? Why do you have to defend yourself? Because you are kicked out of your homes, you're defending yourself. Because your crime is, what's your crime? You say, my Rabb is Allah, that's the only crime you have committed. And to defend the houses of worship. Now, regarding the houses of worship, notice he mentioned, Allah mentioned, uh, monasteries, churches, synagogues. Uh, what's, what's the common denominator here that includes these houses of worship and excludes those that are not mentioned here? So temples are not mentioned here. 
Temples of gods, of uh, mandirs are not mentioned here, of idol worship. And there were a lot of asnam. There were a lot of idol worshiping happening. In fact, that was a dominant religion. So Allah Ta'ala is not saying, hey, if people would not fight and defend, then the temples would have been destroyed. And that would have been such a big zulm. Did he say that? No. He, the common denominator here is that these are those houses of worship where Allah was actually worshipped. Because the Christian faith and the Jewish faith originally were what? The true Islam. Absolutely. And the corruption in their aqidah happened afterward. So, um, I mean, this is a very basic concept we teach the little children, but just to remind ourselves that Musa alayhi salam, if the Jews believe him to be a prophet, so do we, right? He is the actual prophet of Allah. They believe in the corrupted form of the Torah, and we believe in the original Torah, and we believe in the Injil of Isa alayhi salam. So he's a prophet of Islam, and Moses, Musa alayhi salam, and Ibrahim alayhi salam. So they are all prophets, so they were worshipping Allah originally. Then the deen corrupted afterwards. So in their respective times, they were the correct religion. And, uh, and if they didn't stand up and defend the religion, then the mushrikeen were always around. And the mushrikeen were always wrong. They were never right, ever. So they defended the deen, you need to. And it's, uh, it's increasing. See, the sawami' meaning the monasteries were very few. How many monks went to worship Allah? Very few people. They took vows of celibacy, never got married, divorced themselves from all worldly pleasures, went into the monasteries. Then you had more churches, but on the churches they're praising Allah and also praising Mary and also praising Jesus and also praising all the other stuff. Trinity is going on. Then salawat or synagogues. Who do the Jews worship besides Allah? No one. For a while there was one group that worshipped Uzair ibn and said he is Uzair is ibn Allah, but the majority of the Yehud did not worship anyone besides Allah. They had Tawheed. Do they have any problem in Tawheed, Yehud? No. Their problem is that they deny Rasulullah so with la ilaha illallah portion is okay. Problem is with the Muhammad Rasulullah. Not problem with Muhammad Rasulullah, problem that they deny Muhammad Rasulullah. Right? So, salawat is the Jew, synagogues. There's more tawheed going on there. And then the final one, or is ultimate, is masajidu yudhkaru fi hasmullahi kathira. So, the masajid in which the name of Allah is mentioned abundantly. So, this yudhkaru fi hasmullahi kathira is referring only to masajid. So the other houses of worship don't have any qualifying statement, any adjective, any description. But the last one, Masajid does. You see how it's progressing? It's progressing from few isolated monasteries to churches where the name of Allah is taken, but the name of other, a lot of other stuff is taken too. You got the Holy Spirit going, you got the Mary and all of Jesus worshipped. And then you go synagogues, more Tawheed. And then Masajid is Yuskaru fi Asmullahi Kathira. The Masajid in the name of Allah is mentioned abundantly. In the masajid, the name of Allah is taken. Five times a day, adhan is called out, salat is done. Allahu Akbar, subhanahu wa rabbil adhim, subhanahu wa rabbil ala. You know, everything from beginning to end is all dhikr. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, look, they had to defend the deen in their times, you have to defend the deen in your time. They survive, you will survive. The Ahlul Batil is always there, Ahlul Haq has to stand up. This is the sunnah of Allah. And if you're worried, how are we going to do it? Don't worry. Most definitely Allah will help you if you help the deen of Allah. Inna Allah la qawiyun aziz. He is qawi, no one can overpower him. He's aziz, he's the all overpowering. Now, who are the people he's going to help? There's a prophecy here. Because at this moment when these ayat are revealed, they're refugees. 
They're literally refugees. Who are the muhajirun? Refugees. They, they had to give up their home. And, um, but Allah Ta'ala is saying, you know, you're refugees, you're being thrown out. If you are steadfast, what is going to happen? You're actually going to become the rulers. The rulers of the majority of the world. In fact, the two superpowers, one by one, you will take them over. And, and very simple uh, military uh, tactics and philosophy is that, you know, you should not open multiple fronts, divide and conquer. Over here, they went against all conventional wisdom of military strategy and they took on the two superpowers at the same time, simultaneous, Futuh al-Iraq, Futuh al-Sham. Kisra and Qaisar, Roman and Persian empires, same time, they destroyed both, not one after the other. Now who are they? Uh, the, who are the leaders? Khulafa Rashidun, right? Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali. And Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, they were Sahaba, yes. But specifically, were they Ansar or Muhajir? Muhajirun. So the people who were expelled, the refugees, Ansar never were refugees. Were the Ansar refugees? No, because they lived in their own home. I mean, we always know Ansar and Muhajirun, but perhaps we never thought about it this way. Ansar, they did a lot, but they were never refugees. Where, where did they move? They never moved. They, they went out later to give da'wah. Muaz bin Jabal is an Ansari, but he, Nabi Sallallahu sent him to Yemen, for example. Uh, and then he passed away in Ta'awun Amwas in Sham, in the plague, during the Khilafat of Umar So he was willingly leaving your home. You know, it's like a migrant. Immigrant versus refugee. You have the two different, you know, um, immigration services, right? There's an immigrant visa. Petition for immigrant, alien, right? And then there's a refugee. So the Ansar were immigrants. They voluntarily went out on the path of Allah to spread the deen. But they were not refugees. No one expelled them from Medina. Whereas the Muhajirun were refugees. Now these refugees ended up becoming whom? Leaders. Khulafa. That's the next ayat. Subhanallah. Alladheena in Makkannahum. These are the same people that if I, Allah Ta'ala says, if I give them authority over the earth, what are they going to do? Plunder the earth. Enjoy luxury. No, no, these are such amazing people. Prophecy and bashara, glad tiding and praise all in one. If I give them authority over the earth, what will they do? They will establish the salah. They will charge the zakah. They will invite towards the good deeds. They will prohibit and prevent the evil, that which is wrong. To Allah belongs the ultimate end of all affairs. These are such people. Subhanallah. So that is why the Sahaba said this prophecy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was fulfilled with Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, Hassan radiallahu anhu for six months and Muawiyah after that radiallahu anhum. These Sahaba, Allah ta'ala fulfilled this prophecy. So when Allah granted them Khilafah, they did not fulfill their desires but rather fulfill the order of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now the sadaqat of Siddiq and the adalat of Umar and the Shuja and you know the Sahabat of Usman and Shujaat of Ali, right? These are the four sifat, all the poems. Whenever they're speaking in the poetry of the Khulafa Rashidin, they talk about the Sadaqat of Siddiq, Adalat of Umar, and Sahabat of Sahabat means is the generosity of Uthman and Shuja'ah, Shuja'at of Ali, radiallahu anhum. They their volumes. You know, if you want to go on a tangent here, we can go on a long tangent about each of the Khulafa Rashidun. But subhanAllah, we, we know that in brief they fulfilled this. Amana that was given to them and they established justice. Subhanallah.
Allah Ta'ala speaks about this in Surah An-Nur as well. Allah has given His promise to those who believe and do righteous actions. He will grant them the Khilafah, vicegerency over the earth. Like He granted the Khilafah to those prior to them. Allah will firmly establish the deen that He has chosen for them. And they are in a state of fear now for their lives. Allah will change that and grant them aman and safety. They worship me, they assign no partners unto me. So Allah fulfilled that promise. So the promise was made and the promise was fulfilled. The promise was made in the most difficult times. The promise was made when they are running away, refugees. So basically conquering Superpowers, forget about that. That's not even a far of dream. It's not, it's like unimaginable. It's not on the radar. The most important thing is, okay, let's talk about offense later. How about defense? Can you, can you stay in your own home? You can't even stay in your own home. You can't practice religion in the confines of your own home. You have to leave your home and leave your country. And you're talking about in that environment, if the ayat is coming that you will conquer and you will, you will you will have authority over the earth it, it seems very very improbable if not impossible and who is going to believe in this? those who have iman they believed in it and it happened very soon, very soon in a few years it wasn't like 50 years later we're talking about Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq was only two and a half years Khilafat he died, passed away at the age of 63, two and a half years younger than Rasulullah. He passed away two and a half years after Rasulullah at the same age. And then we have Umar radiallahu anhu. Abu Bakr khilafat, basically the murtaddin or who had you know, their rise in their heads, they, they rose, then they started claiming prophethood. They were taken care of. And then the munkirin of zakat and other people were, uh, those threats were um, taken care of. And Arabian Peninsula was reunited. And the northern campaigns had just begun. But the Khilafat of Umar, 10 and a half years, is where very rapid expansion occurred. So, starting from like third, fourth year of his Khilafat, we're talking only five years after Rasulullah passed away. What's five years? It's not, not, not a long time at all. Five years only. Nabi Wasallam had Fatih Makkah in the eighth year of Hijrah. So if you add those two years, it's only seven years. Five, six, seven years. From the time when they did not even have Makkah. So very few years this happened. Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah radiallahu ta'ala anhu, you know, he was in the battlefield of Yarmouk when one of his, uh, his companions was uh, having his final breath and he was leaving this world. He was becoming a shaheed. Right before he was dying, he, he grabbed him and he was holding him in his arms. Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah was made as the Amir. Right? Amin al-Ummah, the most trustworthy man of this Ummah. Rasulullah said, لِكُلِّ أُمَّةٍ أَمِينٍ Every Ummah has one Amin who is the most trustworthy person. وَأَمِينُ هَذِهِ الْأُمَّةِ The true, the Amin of this Ummah is Abu Baydam al-Jarrah. So that was one of the first orders of Umar when he became a Khalifa, is he removed Khalid bin Walid from the command because people's Aqeedah was turning away from Allah towards Khalid bin Walid. So this was, he wanted everyone to remember that Allah 
is there to help us at all times. Khalid bin Walid is there today. Yes, he's Sayfullah, but he may not be there tomorrow. If everyone starts having aqidah, Sayfullah is there, we are victorious. Without Sayfullah, Khalid bin Walid, we are going to fail. So the aqidah is turning away from Allah to Khalid bin Walid. So first thing was he came, he said Bilal radiyallahu, right? Black Habshi slave came and grabbed him and pulled him down from the member <laughs> and said, Abu Baydah bin Jarrah, you've been made the Amir. So Khalid bin Walid said, I will be with more enthusiasm fighting as a private soldier than I was as a supreme commander. Because I wasn't fighting for glory, I was fighting for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Abu Baydah bin Jarrah radiyallahu, he grabbed him in his arms and he said that, he said, oh my, my companion, you are dying. So just like for example, if you're going, you're going to uh, um, Pakistan or you're going to Fulan, uh, this country or that country, you say, oh, uh, carry a message for you, send salam to someone here and there. So he asked Abu Baydah ibn Jarrah radiallahu anhu. He said, I'm dying, I'm going. To the, from the alam of dunya to alam al-akhirah. From alam al-mushahada to alam al-ghayb. To the alam al-barzakh. Where the ruhs will meet. So he had so much yaqeen, obviously. He's giving his life for Allah. So when he was dying as his last breath, he asked him with certainty. He said, Ya Amir al-Ummah, min hajatin ila Rasulillah? You have any message you want me to convey to Rasulullah? So Abu Baydah ibn Jarrah radiallahu anhu said that تُقْرِيُهُ مِنِّ السَّلَامِ Convey my salam to my Nabi. وَقُلْ لَهُ إِنَّا قَدْ وَجَدْنَا مَا وَعَدَنَا رَبُّنَا حَقَّهُ And tell him that all the promises you had made in the most difficult circumstances that Allah had made for us and you had conveyed to us, all of the Allah's promises, we found them to come true. Rarely you found all the promises of Allah to come true. This is an, actually an ayah from Surah Araf, but this is not talking about Abu Baydah bin Jarrah in the dunya, it's talking about in the akhirah, when the Ahlul Jannah and Ahlul Nar will be talking to one another. That the Ahlul Jannah, the people of Jannah, will talk to the people of Jahannam. And they will say, إِنَّا قَدْ وَجَدْنَا مَا وَعَدَنَا رَبُّنَا حَقَّ فَهَلْ وَجَدْتُمْ مَا وَعَدَ رَبُّكُمْ حَقَّ قَالُوا نَعَمْ فَأَذَّنَ مُؤَذِّنٌ بَيْنَهُمْ أَلَّا عَنَتُ اللَّهِ right? That the people of Jannah will say to the people of Jahannam, we found the promises of Allah to come true, we are now in Jannah. What about the promise of Jahannam? Did they come true? Are you facing the Allah that you were promised? They will say yes. Then the angel will proclaim the lana of Allah and the Zalimeen. So this is, uh, he repeated that in the world though. Subhanallah. So these promises did come true. Then Allah Ta'ala says, when you kathibuka, if they are going to deny you, this is, this is a common theme in the Qur'an, where Allah Ta'ala is doing tasalli and consoling Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, because it really, really pained him, because he wanted their guidance, and they were denying him in his face, and saying, you're a liar, and they were being so rude to him. So Allah Ta'ala is saying, look, when you kathibuka, if they're denying you, don't worry. فَقَدْ كَذَّبَتْ قَبْلَهُمْ قُوبُ نُوحٍ وَعَادٍ وَثَمُودٍ Before these mushrikeen, قَوْمَ مَنُوحٍ, what did they do? They denied Nuh alayhi salam. Ad, they denied Hud alayhi salam. Thamud, they denied Saleh alayhi salam. Again, the same concept. They were patient, you can be patient. They survived, you will survive. Uqomu Ibrahim, they denied Ibrahim alayhi salam. Uqomu Lut, Sadum, people of Sadum, they denied Lut alayhi salam. Washabu Madian, people of Madian, they denied and rejected Dawat of Shu'ib alayhi salam. Kuddi wa Musa, Musa alayhi salam was also rejected. So, 
what's happening to these people? Why are they uh, not being uh, struck down? Allah Ta'ala says, فَأَمْلَيْتُ لِلْكَافِرِينَ I gave respite and chance to all these disbelievers. This is my way. I give them a chance. The more chance that they have, that what's happening? The more they're disobeying Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. And their sins, scale of sins is getting heavier and heavier. It's mentioned that when Firon said, Ana Rabbukum al-A'la, I'm your Lord the Most High, his, uh, when he was drowned with his army, it was 40 years later. 40 years, Allah gave him more and more respite. Then I grab them, then I catch them. So how grave is my punishment? When I, when I do catch them, how severe it is. So this is the system of Allah, He's giving them chance and then He'll catch them. And um, they were patient, O Nabi you be patient. How many cities they are? This is a question. How many cities they are? We destroyed them. We devastated them. They, they used to uh, commit zulm by denying their prophets. Now, their walls are toppled over their roofs. Meaning, the whole, the, if you go by, they're destroyed, decimated cities, devastated. These old ruins, archaeological ruins. Bi'rim mu'attala. Bi'rim are wells. Wells that have become abandoned, dried up. No one is there taking water from them. Qasrin as palaces, mashidin, forsaken, right? These lofty palaces that are been abandoned. Palaces that are carved in the rock. So these are places that we're supposed to go and seek, ibrah, not places for vacation, right? As they have been rehabilitated and been made into a you know, World Heritage, UNESCO World Heritage sites and lighted up with fireworks, not on July 4th, all the time. And all multicolored disco lights. The, which one? Madainu Salih alayhi salam. Nabi sallallahu alayhi salam passed by the Madainu Salih. Which time? It's in the north. It's the northern uh, region of Saudi Arabia near the border of Jordan. Madainu Salih. And these are the carved palaces of the Qom of Thamud. Because they are carved in the rock. They would carve their homes in the rock. So, uh, subhanAllah, when they saw the adab of Qom Hamud came through the wind and Qom Nuh came through the water, they said, We'll carve our home in the rock. So, neither the water will come there, to fl- we will not die by floods nor by wind. We'll be safe. But then the screech of the angel came and their hearts ruptured from fear. So, those oh, palaces are still there. And the sister nation or the Nabatiyun, their uh, palaces are there in Petra, across the border in Jordan. So when you go there, you see all of these palaces, what should we go with? We should go with the intention of taking Ibra and lesson, not a place for vacationing. Nabi Sallallahu he passed by there and he said that pass by the Bakun, crying. Cry and remember the adab of Allah and seek protection of Allah. So it's not a tourist site, which is currently what is happening nowadays. It's marketed under the name of Ula. ULA. So you can Google it and check it out what I'm talking about. How this has been now presented as a tourist destination and hotels are there and people go there for touring. When you see these destroyed nations, where the Dead Sea is, that's where Sodom was. And that's why it's one of the lowest points in the earth because Allah Ta'ala said, 
Safilah. Allah Ta'ala took it up, elevated it, turned it upside down, and, f- and then when it came down with the force, it became a big depression. Then it was filled with the Dead Sea water. So the bottom of the Dead Sea is where the nation of Sodom used to live. The people of Sodom, Sodomi, come from there. Qasrim Masjid, Allah. How many cities have been destroyed? Afalam Yasiru Filar, there's a question. Do you not travel over the earth? Do you not travel? Meaning there's a command, you should travel. With this intention to take a lesson. Do you not have such hearts that can start understanding what's going on? Adhanun, do you have not ears to hear? The problem is, the eyes are not blind. Physical eyes are not blind. The hearts are blinded. That are in the chest. So the hearts of the chest, they are blinded. There's basarat and basirat. The basarat uh, is with the eyes. Basarat basirat salamat, right? So some, you know, some people they, they say that they don't have the physical eyes, but they have the internal eyes. So like in the Naat Madina Nadida Nadida. He saw Madina without seeing it. Right? So he saw it with his heart, he didn't see it with his eyes, the blind point. So over here, uh, he, uh, the people are seeing with their eyes, but their hearts are blind. They're not taking any lesson. So they think, wow, it's a historical, uh, you know, interesting archaeological dig, fine. You don't have to dig when it comes to Madinah Salah. You don't have to dig anywhere, it's on top of the mountain. Other places you're digging down under the ground. But uh, what's the point of the whole thing? What's the lesson? People are deaf to it, dumb, mute, blind. Hearts are rusted, locked. They are not paying attention. So these people on the Day of Judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, how will they be raised? Actually physically blind too. So when they are going to be raised blind, they can't see. So they will say that, Oh Allah, لِمَا حَشَرْتَنَا أَعْمَا Why did you raise us such that we are blind? And we used to be in the worldly life, you would be able to see. Um, so Allah Ta'ala's response will be كَذَلِكَ أَتَتْكَ آيَاتُنَا فَنَسِيتَهَا وَكَذَلِكَ الْيَوْمَ تُنْسَى In the worldly life, so many different signs came to you and so many different opportunities for you to see and reflect. But you turn a blind eye. So today the punishment is that you will be made physically blind. وَنَحْشُرُهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ on the day of judgment, he'll be resurrected blind. Surah Taha. Qala Rabbi lima hasharatani a'ma. Oh my Lord, why did you resurrect me blind? I could see in the worldly life. Qala kadalika atatka ayatuna fanasitaha. Likewise, our ayat and signs had come to you in the worldly life, but you ignored them. Today you will also be ignored. You were blind to my signs in the worldly life, so you'll be blind today on the day of judgment. Allah فَإِنَّهَا لَا تَعْمَلْ أَبْصَارِ Verily the eyes in the head, they're not blind. وَلَكِنْ تَعْمَلْ قُلُوبُ الَّتِي فِي الصُّدُورِ But the hearts that are in the chest, they are blind. So there's a command here to travel, 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 see, travel. So don't just stay at home. But there is a lot of, um, subhanAllah, uh, blessings, wisdom that can be gained, lessons that can be learned. Uh, there is no substitute for traveling, seeing these places. So this is an integral part of the tarbiyah. And there's so many hadith about traveling, so many virtues of traveling to seek knowledge. It's not something you sit at home online. So when you look in the books of hadith, the chapters, there's kitab ul 
book on knowledge and within that there's always a chapter on a safar, traveling to seek knowledge. It's a whole chapter, it's not one hadith. Within that chapter you'll find multiple hadith about traveling. Like, man salaka tariqan, whoever treads the path, yathlubu fi ilman. Man salaka tariqan yaltamisu ilman, to seek knowledge. Sahalallahu lahu bihi tariqan ilal jannah. Allah will make the path to jannah easy. So there's a salaka tariqan, to take the path. He's not just sitting at home. Another one, man kharaja fi talab al whoever leaves his home to seek knowledge, fawwa fi sabiillah, he's in the path of Allah, hatta yarja, until he returns home. The other one, wanna malaika tala tadawa ajnihata, the angels spread forth their wings. Ridan li talib to show their pleasure for the seeker of knowledge. So there's a suluk, fi talab huruj, there's all this verbiage that indicates leaving the home. Imam Muhammad ibn Idris al Shafi'i al Mutalibi rahimahullah. He's known as Imam Shafi'i, Imam of Fiqh and Hadith, right? And he was also a poet, mashallah. In his Diwan, he has a beautiful poem. He talks about the same concept, leaving the home. But as a poet, he gives examples of things around him in nature. Hmm? So he says, Ma fil إِنِّي رَأَيْتُ وَقُوفَ الْمَاءِ يُفْسِدُهُ إِنْ صَاحَ طَابَ وَإِلَّمْ يَجْرِ لَمْ يَطِبِ This is the beginning of the poem. It's a longer poem. He says, مَا فِي الْمَقَامِ Just sitting in one place, not moving. مَا فِي الْمَقَامِ لِذِي عَقْلٍ وَذِي أَدَبِ The one who has aql and adab, مِنْ رَاحَةٍ There is no raha and comfort for him. He'll become restless, just stuck in one place. فَدَعِ الْأَوْطَانِ Leave your watan, leave your homeland. Leave and go and learn. Go and see. Go and witness what's going on. He says, Inni ra'aytu, verily I have seen. Wukuf al ma'i, if the water becomes stagnant, you see the who? It becomes polluted. In sahataba, if it's flowing and remains pure, wailam yajri lam yatibi, if it stops its movement and becomes stagnant, it'll become polluted, dirty. Then he says, Wasahmu lawla firaqul ardi. He says, وَالْأُسْلُ لَوْهُ لَا فِرَاقُ الْأَرْضِ مَفْتَرَسَتْ وَالسَّحْمُ لَوْ لَا فِرَاقُ الْقَوْسِ لَمْ يُسِبِي He says, if the lion is just relaxed and enjoys the comfort of his cave, then it can never catch the prey. It has to go out and hunt. And وَالسَّحْمُ لَوْ لَا فِرَاقُ الْقَوْسِ If the arrow is comfortable inside the bow, it likes to be there, لَمْ يُسِبِي It will never reach the target. It has to leave the comfort of the bow. Um, وَالشَّمْسُ لَوَقَفَتْ فِي الْفُلْكِ دَائِمَةً لَمَنْ لَهَا النَّاسُ مِنْ عَرَبٍ وَمِنْ عَجَمِيهِ If the sun stops, he says, I don't want to move, just stay in one place. لَوَقَفَتْ فِي الْفُلْكِ in its orbit, دَائِمَةً, one place is stuck. لَمَنْ لَهَا النَّاسُ مِنْ عَرَبٍ وَمِنْ عَجَمِيهِ The Arab and the Ajam, everyone will be tired of it. Why is it not moving? It's stuck. And then he says, he gives last two examples, he says that, um, وَالتِّبْرُ كَالتُّرْبِ مُلْقًا فِي أَمَاكِنِهِ وَالْعُودُ فِي أَرْضِهِ نَوْعٌ مِنَ الْحَطَبِ فَإِنْ تَغَرَّبَ هَذَا عَزَّ مَطْلَبُهُ وَإِنْ تَغَرَّبَ ذَاكَ عَزَّكَ ذَهَبِي He says, وَالتِّبْرُ كَالتُّرْبِ The actual gold and silver in its original form when it's um, mined from the ground it's mixed with the other metals and the alloys and it does, it's not shiny and glittery and it's not in a beautiful shape and form. 
Katurbi, it's like the dirt. You'll walk over it. Fi amakinihi, in its original place. That's one thing. And the second thing is, Wal'udu and Ud, Fi ardihi, in the original Cambodian jungle, or Indian jungle, in the forest. Nu'um min al-hatabi, it's like a firewood. There's no value. You'll chop it and burn it. فَإِنْ هَذَا But if it leaves its original place and it goes through the process of being refined, the gold is refined and heated up, goes through the refining process, and likewise with the oud, then it becomes so valuable, so precious. It becomes very, very high price and value. So therefore you got to leave. You can't just stay in your mind, the gold. You can't stay in your jungle, Cambodian jungle, or oud. Or lion in the cave, or water that's not moving, or sun, all of these examples he gives. So the bottom line is Safir Tajid Travel, go, leave your home. It's a command, it's an imperative verb, a fair amr here. Safir, make safar. Tajid, and if you're worried, like, what's going to happen when I go out? He says, Tajid You will find new people to replace those who you love left behind. So if you're so attached to your friends, and your own home, and in like hometown, I don't want to go study knowledge, I don't want to study, go and learn or give da'wah and travel in the path of Allah. So he says, don't worry. You'll find iwad amman tufariqud for those who are, you're making mufariqa leaving behind. And if you say, I'm just lazy man, I can't, I can't work hard. It's a lot of struggle in traveling. You know, it wasn't first class, second class, third class, economy class. What was it? Camels and mules and walking bare feet through deserts, right? SubhanAllah, so hard to travel. And if you see the stories of our scholars of the past, the journeys, Muhammad ibn Ismail al-Bukhari al-Yamani al-Jurafi, Amin al-Mu'minina fil-Hadith, Imam Bukhari, where he's living in Bukhara. Where's Bukhara? Uzbekistan. From Uzbekistan, and so far, he travels to Mecca, to Medina, to Dimash, to Fulan, to Baghdad. You know, all the way east to west to Egypt. They travel so far, so far. From Undulus to like, they go to meet, you know, to Hirat. Hirat in, in Khurasan, Afghanistan of today. From east to west they're traveling. Sometimes bare feet. So he says, Safir, Travel, you will find people to replace the loved ones you're leaving behind. One sub, and exert yourself to the point of exhaustion. It's one sub. Like, yeah. One sub. And when people enter Jannah, they'll say, that, Alhamdulillah, Allah has brought us into Jannah. Nasab. Over here, no tiredness, no exhaustion will reach us. So nasab means exhaustion. So he says, one sub, exhaust yourself, exert yourself to the point of exhaustion. You know why? The true ladha and enjoyment of life isn't exhausting yourself <laughs> for the sake of Allah. So when you exhaust yourself physically, mentally, to the point you're dropping down like some of us right now, mashallah, from a long day of July 4th, <laughs> Barbecue, patani kiawa. We exhausted ourselves. So what, one sub, there's so much ladha. That's the beautiful point. The true enjoyment of life is in exerting yourself to the point of exhaustion for the sake of Allah. So the reason I, I just, this was, not, I wasn't planning to say this poem. That's why it was taking me a while to remember it as I was going along, piece by piece. But this is, uh, this came to mind when we talked about أَفَلَمْ يَسِيرُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ You're not travel in the earth. So this is an encouragement from Allah. This is called istifam inkari, negative question. He, one is to say, you should travel, you travel. Have you traveled? One is, have you, why you do not travel? 
Afalam yasiru. So they have not. Lam is neg negation. No, not. And a is question. Afalam yasiru. Have you not traveled? Why not? So uh, with with intention to learn and open your hearts, open your uh, open your eyes and your ears. Then Allah Ta'ala said, These people, they're saying, Bring it on, bring on the adab. Ujlat. Ujlat means quickly, right? They want to bring the adab quickly. Why are you worried? Don't worry. Allah is never going to break His promise. One day, according in the eyes of your Lord, it's like a thousand years for you. The adab is coming very soon. And um, they. When, 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 when they said that, you know, Amtir alina hijaratan mina sama, make the rocks fall down to us from the sky. Bring the dreadful torment, where is it? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responded that there's two reasons why the azab isn't coming. What is the two reasons? Number one, you are still alive, O Muhammad. If you are present amongst them, Allah has decided He will not destroy the nation in which you are there. That was temporary with Him. The second one is permanent. And Allah will not torment the people as long as they make istighfar. So as long as there's some people making istighfar, azab will not come. As long as Nabi Sallallahu is physically there, azab will not come. Uh, then Allah Ta'ala says, قُلْ سَيَّهُ Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسِ O mankind, Verily I am a great warner. I, I, I am an open warner of azab that is coming. Um, those who believe in do righteous deeds, they have, mashallah, forgiveness from the Lord and generous provision. Imam Qurtubi says, wherever Allah Ta'ala says generous provision, rizqun kareem, what could be a better provision than Jannah? It was referring to Jannah. The other side, those who strive to uh, reject our revealed ayat, they're not only, uh, you know, Dakhil fil jahim, entering jahim, ashabul jahim, companions of the hellfire. This gives an indication of long term relationship, ashabul jahim. And then this is this is one ayah that, you know, na'udhu billah, the enemies of Islam, Salman Rushdi, his satanic verses, if you remember from back in the 90s, right, when he wrote it and create, created an outcry in the world, and Khomeini put a fatwa on killing him and all of that. So this is na'udhu billah where he got his wrong ideas from. So first of all, it's a very, very straightforward ayah. And um, the meaning is very clear. And, but they were mulhideen and they were deviant people who came up with a deviant story and they attributed it, made it, tried to make it part of the tafsir of this ayah. And then the scholars of tafsir, they went to such great lengths trying to explain it, some of them. Oh, this is wrong, Sanad, and all of that. But it's complete from beginning to end. The whole thing is just bakwas, bogus, nonsense. What's the correct meaning of the ayah? It's very simple. There's, there wouldn't mean any reason to talk about it. In fact, I could just gloss over the tarjuma and give the right meaning and know what you know. The reason I said Salman Rushdie is so you guys wake up and say, Oh, what is talking about Salman Rushdie? Okay, but uh, uh, satanic verses. The older people remember satanic verses because it was a whole global news, right? Okay, so there was a bounty on his head and the British government was protecting him, right? Where did this whole satanic verse come from? Na'udhu billahi min zalik. Now that we are awake, the, in, in teaching methodology it's called unfreeze. Because the brain freezes, so you have to unfreeze it. 
Whatever little message the teacher can convey when it's defrosted, fine. Otherwise, very quickly, what's going to happen? It's going to be frozen again. Right? So this was the defreeze now. <laughs> Uh, uh, unfreeze the deep, from the deep freeze Allah Ta'ala says we have never sent before you any Rasul or a Nabi over here Tamanna is referring to reciting when they were, because from the Loga perspective it also means to recite when they would recite the Quran and teach the Quran then alqa shaytanu fi umniyatihi Shaitan would come and try to misguide the people and give them shubhat so that they don't understand the correct Quran. Then Allah is going to come and He's going to destroy all the shubhat of Shaitan. Then Allah will make His ayat, the correct meaning, strong and established. And Allah is Alim and Hakim, all knowing, all wise. So this is the actual meaning. I'll explain it one more time. Look what happens. Basically, Allah Ta'ala says, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ We have never sent before you مِنْ رَسُولُ وَلَا نَبِي Any Rasul or a Nabi. The words are mentioned here together back to back. This indicates that Rasul and Nabi are different. They're not exactly the same. So, Nabi is anyone who sent for the hidayat of mankind, receives revelation. A Rasul has an additional higher role. He has a new book, like Tawrat, Zabur, Injil, Suhafa, Ibrahim, and Musa, or a new nation, new qawm, uh, or a new sharia. Whereas a Nabi is just there to remind about the previous one. Like like in one town, Two Nabis there, then a third one comes. So three Nabi in one little town. They had three Shariat in three books? No. They're just reminders. Uh, sent to remind. Like Musa is a Rasul, but what is Harun? And Yusha ibn Nun, his nephew. Ambiya, Nabi. So 124,000 approximately Ambiya. From them, 313 are Rasul. Rasul is a higher level. So every Rasul is a Nabi, but not every Nabi is a Rasul. Okay. Whenever we send a Rasul or a Nabi, when they would recite the Quran. So they are making, they're reciting the Quran to the people because that's their task. Or in the past, it wasn't Quran, it was the whatever, Wahi. So they're reciting Torah, Zabur, Injil. So, why are they reciting it? Because they want the people to believe and accept Allah. But alqa shaytanu, shaytan comes and he puts waswasa in the hearts of the people in their minds. Alqa shaytanu, shaytan, I'm not even sure. Uh, yeah, he says here, people's thoughts. This is the correct translation. Into the people's thoughts, shaytan comes. Uh, Salman Rushdie and all these Batil people they're saying that shaitan overcomes who? the tongue of Rasulullah he starts inspiring Nabi to say wrong things so Alqa shaitan shaitan overcomes who? the mukhatabin, the addressees those being addressed, the mushrikeen in the Makkah in this case, shaitan comes into their minds and starts inspiring them with wrong ideas, shubuhat like there's an ayat that comes the dead mayta is haram for you so shaitan comes and teaches them, oh, if I slaughter it, it's halal. If Allah kills it, it's haram. Weird stuff like that. Then there's a whole list of the different types of uh, objections that they have here. Uh, Allah allowed him to remain faqir, and then I'm, you want me to make him pay him zakat. Why? Or, ajeeb or gharib, different types of ishkalat are there. So these are, these are from whom? From shaitan. In the minds of the people, he is not overpowering the Prophet, over, overtaking his tongue, and uh, making the Prophet involuntary say wrong things. No way. 
Then what happens? Allah Ta'ala says, فَيَنْسَفُ Allah Ta'ala will destroy all of the doubts that shaitan is trying to cause in the hearts of the people. Where, meaning, whatever doubts that they have, whatever objections shaitan brings in their minds, Allah reveals other ayat that will remove those doubts. ثُمَّ يُحْكِمُ اللَّهُ آيَاتِ Allah firmly establishes, confirms his signs, his ayat, makes it clear. If there's any ambiguous verse that is causing confusion, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make tafsir of that ayah through another ayah. So this is the correct meaning, simple as that. Now, there were some deviant people, it's very, very devilish what's going to happen next. So if, the problem, that's the problem, you know, they say, Neem Mullah Khatra Iman, Neem Hakim Khatra Ijan. Right. So if there's a Neem, you know, listener, <laughs> Neem Samir, half listening, half not listening. If he, if he hears from here onwards, he's in trouble. Whoever, he, you know, did not hear up till now, if you were sleeping, please continue to sleep. Right. Because this moving forward is the wrong explanation. The wrong explanation is some people saw this ayah, they said, oh, there's some scope for us to come up with the false story. So they concluded, they, 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 they created a fictional story. And they said that shaitan would overcome Rasulullah's tongue. And shaitan would make Nabi say wrong things. Such that uh, were shirk words. So it's, a, it's like, for example, somebody hacks into your computer, uh, remote access. You're working and you know, team viewer, some guy comes in and he starts moving around files in your computer and you're saying, looking at it, what's going on? So, you know, so likewise, shaitan overpowered the brain of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, overcame his tongue and makes him utter false stuff. Then later, Allah Ta'ala tries to clean up the mess. And he removes it. So now, if you just say that, it doesn't still have that uh, powerful effect. So you have to create what? More details. The more detail you make the lie, the more believable it becomes. So they created a whole thing. They said that, it's so ironic which surah they picked for this. They have to give an example of shaitan overcoming the tongue of Nabi Wasallam. So they created a false story of Surah Al-Najm. In Surah Al-Najm, there is the ayah, أَفَرَأَيْتُمُ اللَّا Do you see the false idol Lat and the false idol Uzza? وَمَنَات and the false idol Manat. Right? So, do you see them? Do you see these false idols? After that, Allah Ta'ala is rejecting them. These are false names you have come up with. Uh, they do not have any reality. So what happens is, in this false, fake narration, fabricated narration, they say, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Right? So they made these false words which match with the surah. And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, allegedly, falsely attributed to him that he said, Have you seen Lat and Uzza and Manat? These are the great lords, gods. Their intercession on the day of judgment, you have raja and hope for it. We hope that these false gods are going to come to our aid on the day of judgment. Then what happened is in this false story, at the end of the surah, uh, what, is, what is the ayah of the sajda? What is the ayah of the sajda? 
هذا نذير من النذر الأولى أزفة الآزفة ليس لها من دون الله كاشفة من هذا الحديث تعجبون وتضحكون ولا تبقون وأنتم سامدون and people say oh don't recite the ayah so everyone has to do sajda so that's not the end of the world everyone has to do sajda what's the ayah فَسْجُدُوا لِلَّهِ وَعْبُدُوا so make sajda and worship Allah it's a command so everyone has additional thawab inshallah it's a wajib sajda upon you right before or after each time you can do it فَسْجُدُوا لِلَّهِ وَعْبُدُوا so when this command came Nabi Sallallahu went into sajda but guess what happened in the fall story all the mushrikeen were so happy because quote unquote he praised the idols what did they all do they also altered sajda subhanallah so this became so this incident in the false story continue with the false story there's so many details it's like Pinocchio's nose is getting longer and longer <laughs> he, he, uh, uh, he they added more lies to it they said that this became such a well known incident that all the mushikin of Makkah who were present in the gathering did sajda that those who did the first hijrah towards Habasha in Ethiopia they heard that the Makkans became Muslim that rumor so what did they do? They came back. They came back to Makkah. Because they thought Islam had spread. So this is... Now, the scholars of Tafsir here, they go at great lengths to discuss the sanad of this chain of narrations and say that this is completely false. This is fabricated. These are liars. It's nothing to do with reality. And it's never even happened. Um, Shaitan never overcomes the tongue of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. In fact, Nabi ﷺ is a Rasul of Allah. This same Surah Najm where they say that this alleged incident took place, they are the high gods. We hope for their shafa, these false gods, right? That's the same Surah. So ironic. Which ayat is in the same Surah? My Nabi does not speak from his desires. In huwa illa Whatever he speaks is the revealed word of Allah. It's revealed by Allah. Everything he speaks is revealed by Allah. I mentioned the story 10 times of Abdullah bin Amr ibn al-As, that he used to write everything. And some, then he stopped writing. Somebody said, Nabi Sallallahu said, why you stopped writing? Abu Harir says that you people think I know most hadith. He knew more hadith than me. He knew more hadith than me. If he didn't know, he used to write it down. Wala aktubu, I used to memorize. Like we are all in the madhab of Abu Hurairah. I just listen. And Abdullah bin Amr ibn al-As, what does he do? He writes it down. So, Allama bil qalam. He taught with the pen. Right. So, <laughs> Subhanallah. Uh, anyway, I think it's time to. It says session ended. Khalas. So what happened is uh, uh, Abdullah bin Amr bin Asr radiallahu anhu used to write. Nabi Sallallahu said, "Why do you stop writing?" He said, "People told me that you're writing down everything. You shouldn't write down. Nabi Sallallahu you should just take notes of the khutbah and the speech, not everything." So Nabi Sallallahu said, "Don't worry about it. Anything I say is haq." Nothing comes from my tongue except for its haq. So this was, this is firmly established. No batil can come into the Quran, neither from before it nor after it. It comes from the loh, the tablet. What's the name of the tablet? That's the name of the tablet. It's mahfuz, it's protected. Then who is bringing it? Ruhul Amin. He's Amin, he's trustworthy. Muta'in thamma amin. Muta'a, he's obeyed in the heavens. No one can overpower him, put a gun to Jibreel's head, and change the message because he's muta'a. Muti'a is the one who is obedient, and muta'a is the one people obey. So muta'in thamma amin. He is obeyed because he's Sayyidul Malaika. And amin, he's trustworthy. 
So no one can change the message from outside nor will he change it himself. And Nazar Abi Harul Amin ala Qalbika on the heart of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is not changing the message. Anyways, the whole thing is protected. Then Allah could seal the heavens from the Jinnat who are going up and down. Angels were guarding the heavens. Jinnat can't go up and down. The whole silsila is protected, preserved. And then you want to come up with this false story. So the shaitan does come. But where did the shaitan come? Where the Salman Rushdie, he got his false satanic uh, idea from? In this ayah. Shaitan is coming. Meaning he comes into the mind of the listener. Shaitan is not overpowering the tongue of Rasulullah. Forget about Nabi for a moment. Any, he is the Sayyidul Khalq, the leader of the creation. Any single ummati, any single individual, any human being, in fact the worst human being, shaitan cannot overcome his tongue too. Shaitan cannot overpower because on the day of judgment, when the Anbiya, Shuhada will do intercession on behalf of their people and take them to Jannah, the followers of shaitan will say, look, their leaders help them, you help us. Remember that speech? Surah Ibrahim, shaitan will have a speech. When the matter is decided, shaitan will address his devotees. He said, guess what? In Allah, Allah has given you a true promise. I give you a false promise. I broke my promise. And then he says, I had no authority over your tongue and your hand and your body parts. I could not force the movement. I only could put thoughts in your mind, insinuations, devilish whispering, devilish whisperings, thoughts. Waswasa. Fastajabtum li. You voluntarily chose to follow me. Falatalumuni. So don't blame me today. Walumu and Fuzakum. Blame yourselves. Ma'ana bi musrikikum. I cannot come to your aid. Uma'antum bi musrikiya. You cannot come to my aid. I will burn in Jahannam, so will you. So he cannot overcome any human being's tongue. No human being can say, Oh, Shaitan came onto my tongue and made me say, You are talaq. Shaitan ni talaq diya, kumene ni diya. What are you talking about? Nonsense, get lost, right? This is talaq. If you want to accept it or not, you want to lead a life of zina or follow the order of Allah. You gave talaq. Don't say, Shaitan overcame my tongue. Or you say a kalim of kufr, you have to face the repercussions. But Shaitan can only put waswasa. Nabi said, Alhamdulillah, I praise and thank Allah. Has limited the impact of shaitan only to waswasa. He cannot force your hand. He cannot force your tongue. Now you're telling me he forced the tongue of Rasulullah and he made him say nonsense things like this. So this is batil, sanadan, matanan. The text of this false narration is false. The chain of it is false. The whole thing is garbage. And in fact, some of the mufassirun may Allah reward them. They said, we don't want to even take time to discuss this nonsense. And they said, this is the correct meaning. But some of you, I don't know, if you actually read here and there, you'll say, oh, we came across this interpretation. Or the worst case is what? If you go to study Islam, the worst from the non-Muslims universities, they will only teach you the wrong version. The wrong version is the only version that you will learn. You will never hear the right. So that's why we have to hear the wrong. My own example, when I was going to Kankiki Community College, KCC, 1997, there was a world religions course. The professor of the world religions course was a murtad apostate former Catholic priest who gave up God. They was the most qualified person to teach world religions. Murtad Catholic. Started off Catholic, then became murtad. And when I remember when we came to Islam, the Quran, it was Roman numeral one. First thing, was it the inimitability of the Quran? The fact that it is preserved? 
the miraculous nature of his words, the balagha, the accurate representation of historical events in the far past, the prophecies of the future that have been fulfilled, the scientific wonders of the Quran, preservation of his qirat in tajweed, in his words and meanings, the different commentaries in the tafsir, none of that. What is Roman numeral one? Principle of abrogation. Muhammad says something, then he falls in love with Zainab and he changes his mind and he revealed the ayah. This is Roman number one. First lesson about Quran is he keeps on changing his mind, makes this story, then makes that story. So that's why, for God's sake, we should not learn Islam from non-Muslims. I mean, I think that should be a no-brainer, but apparently it's common sense is a sense not common to all. Right? So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wake us up. That's the only reason I even explain the, what the wrong interpretation is. The correct interpretation is very clear. No batil can come into the Quran from in front or behind is revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have revealed the Quran and we will preserve it. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us iman and yaqeen and allow us to die with iman and yaqeen. There is no doubt in it.